Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Political Rewind. Uh, if you're a regular Thursday listener, you may recognize my voice, but not usually as the host. I'm Kevin Riley, editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm sitting in for Bill Niga today, but don't worry, he'll be back tomorrow. Now, we're going to talk a lot about uh, a lot of things today, and I have a great panel. The Georgia legislature may have come to a close at the end of March, but the controversy over its most contentious bill Senate Bill 202, the state's new election law, is still going strong. After Major League Baseball withdrew the All-Star game from uh, the Brave Stadium in Cobb County, the Georgia GOP is facing more backlash from corporations and the film industry over changes to the state's voting laws. It seems that that decision by Major League Baseball is really the demarcation line in this argument about those voting laws. On Monday, Will Smith and director Antoine Fuqua said they were pulling their upcoming film production, Emancipation, out of Georgia because of the new law. And then this week, hundreds of companies and corporate executives, including Amazon, Google, and more, signed a new statement released yesterday and they, uh, to point out that they oppose, and I quote, any discriminatory legislation end quote, that would make it harder for people to vote. We're going to get into all of that and a lot more today, but I want to stop for a moment and acknowledge some sad news. Hank Huckabee, a well-known political figure who served in some of Georgia's highest offices, died Wednesday after he suffered a stroke last week. Huckabee was a state legislature and served in many other positions in his career, including as chancellor of the university system of Georgia. He was 79. Now, let's get into our discussion with our panel and we've got an excellent one. Uh, joining me this morning, Mariella Romero, who is Director of Community Empowerment at Univision. Mariella, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Nice to see you too, Kevin. Uh, also joining us is Thomas Wheatley, who is the news editor of Atlanta Magazine. Good to see you, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah. And also joining us is Charlie Hazlett. Uh, he's the owner of the Hazlett Group and is known for his, uh, uh, for his blog, Trouble in God's Country. Good to see you, Charlie. Thank you. Appreciate the chance to be here. Uh, Charlie, I'm going to start out with you because, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, this, the All-Star Game cancellation, uh, I guess relocation more accurately by Major League Baseball, deciding that because of Georgia voting law, you know, Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred, said, we're not going to play this game in Georgia. Uh, and instead, he moved it to Colorado. Um, that has just been the thing that has, seems to have set everybody off. And, and there's no, there aren't even two sides to the argument when you get right down to it, because, of course, on one side, Republicans... Uh, have accused him of caving into uh, to the cancel culture. Um, other, even Democratic politicians have been against the boycott, uh, in particular, and of note, Stacey Abrams, because uh, she 
as she has said, she doesn't believe that kind of boycott hurts the right people. And she invited uh, Major League Baseball to instead play uh, in Georgia and help change things. And then, of course, there are people on the other side who were all for what Major League Baseball did. And uh, it, it just is this thing that keeps brewing and brewing. But what you blogged about it, and I thought you had an interesting perspective um, uh, from a couple points of view. So why don't you share those with us, and then we can get the discussion going. I'll get Thomas and Mariella to weigh in as well. Okay, I'm glad to do that. Um, the, um, the, the, the premise of my Trouble in God's Country uh, blog has to do with the extent of the division in Georgia, economically, educationally, health-wise, and it extends to politics um, and, and the degree to which Metro Atlanta is increasingly Democratic and rural Georgia is generally increasingly Republican. And my, the point of my blog was um, uh, the Biden administration, President Biden, when he endorsed or called for um, uh, basically supporting having Major League Baseball move the All-Star game, uh, was that he he hit the wrong Georgia. He hit, he basically turned some of his um, uh, most uh, prized new political precincts into collateral damage. Um, and uh, And not only touched off the debate, but but put a lot of his allies here in Georgia uh, in a difficult position. Stacey Abrams, obviously, among them. Uh, and uh, I, I, I thought he missed, the president missed an opportunity if he wanted to inflict some political uh, embarrassment on the state um, uh, to, um, uh, by not uh, focusing on the masters uh, and, um, uh, and challenging the, the, uh, the players and their sponsors to really think about whether they wanted to participate in, the, in, in that event um, uh, in this state on the heels of the, um, of the passage and signing of that law. So uh, that, was, that was sort of the, the, the point of that, um, uh, of that post. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm uh, beyond the masters. Um, uh, the, the problem you've got when you begin uh, trying to inflict um, uh, to do something like that in rural Georgia is the, tar- the targets are sort of limited. Uh, calling for a boycott of the Vidalia Onion Festival probably wouldn't have the same impact. But they, I think he, I think he did miss uh, a chance where the Masters are concerned and and hit the wrong target with the, with the uh, with the All Star Game. I agree. I agree with Charlie um, wholeheartedly, and I think that um, this cancel culture, everybody reacting so quickly. Uh, to 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 the things that they they believe are wrong is truly a symptom of our cultural relationships. We really don't know uh, how to engage, you know, with this divide that is in in the country, the political divide, the urban versus rural, uh, different the immigrant versus uh, native borns, etc. But I think uh, by dragging corporations, corporations have uh, a role to play in this conversation, a very, very important one. But I believe that uh, everybody is reacting too quickly uh, and we are not engaging in the right uh, way to solve the problem. Uh, Racism, bias, prejudice, they are all symptoms uh, of a a deeper uh, illness that we suffer. 
and it is that we don't know how to uh, uh, relate between uh, our differences. We don't know how to negotiate our differences. We don't know how to really, truly uh, master our cultural relationships. You know, Thomas, uh, what Charlie and Mariella had to say reminds me of a comment a friend of mine uh, made uh, who's from the Northeast, and he said to me one time, you know, I love Atlanta, but it's just too close to Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Georgia is a large and wonderful and beautiful state, and and, and I've visited all corners of it. Um, But but what what this... uh, has really kind of hammered home, home for me is that, you know, actions have consequences, elections have consequences, legislation has consequences. And if I, I agree, it's unfortunate that this, that this, you know, the boycott happened and the, and the game was moved. Um, but I think that lawmakers, especially now with the kind of really divisive, polarized political climate we live in, they have to, they have to expect this is going to happen. I mean, this was a, uh, this was a uh, this was a, a bill that was watched across the country. Um, countless hours devoted to it. Uh, the the blowback was going to be swift, and it was going to be uh, pretty vicious if it if it did indeed pass. And I think that lawmakers should definitely consider that when they're trying to push a bill that is aimed at appeasing their base or just very blatantly moving the goalposts in their favor, um, that this will happen. I mean, the Will Smith movie that um, that has moved uh, is a is a movie about um, enslaved people. And if you think about, uh, you know, just just the optics of, of it staying in Georgia. It they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Like Charlie said in his post, optics matter. So, um, you know, you're you're right about these consequences, because already this uh, all-star game issue, um, you know, as a proxy for the battle over the, over the, uh, the voting law has, has showed up in, in uh, political advertisements. And I know that Sam Bermastas, our producer, has a little bit of a uh, political ad that's been running that he's going to play for us. And I, I think we can talk about that a little bit, too. So, Mr. President, what do you think about the possibility that baseball decides to move their all-star game out of Atlanta because of this political issue? I think today's professional athletes are acting incredibly responsibly. Yesterday, Major League Baseball announcing the all-star game and draft will no longer take place here in Atlanta. Should boycotts be on the table? I think we all have to use our voices. The lost dollars will affect businesses even outside of Cobb County. Not not all that $100 million would have been spent within, let's say, one mile of Truist Field. It would have been spent all over the Atlanta area. I'm disappointed for the Braves organization and the folks that are local down there that would have greatly benefited from seeing, you know, the influx of of business and, you know, excitement surrounding the area. Recognizing that we're in a pandemic, this would has would have given us a lift out of that. These decisions matter, and uh, it affects people at a real level. We're trying to build back from a pandemic that happened last year, and something like this is not good for business. Rodney's will suffer. This would have been a big boost to cop businesses and help with recovery efforts after the COVID-19 pandemic. I think we all have to use our voices. I would strongly support them doing that. 
So there you have it, Charlie. Um, you talked a little bit about political consequences, but there's also this question, and Republicans have focused on it, that this kind of boycott, you know, hits people economically who can probably at least afford it. Well, uh, clearly, uh, in 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 the case of this, it it uh, it, it takes um, uh, cash flow and business away from folks who have worked hard to to set that up, and and that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I I wonder whether how much impact it will have outside Metro Atlanta, um, which is already suffering, was suffering before the pandi- pandemic, and and will likely suffer a worse blow than. Um, than Metro Atlanta from the the, the, the pandemic, uh, where the politics are concerned, um, uh, my view is that we've got to wait a little bit to see how that shakes out. I mean, most folks, I think, in Metro Atlanta and around the country, as Thomas pointed out, are um, uh, aghast, if not outraged, at at the uh, the law and and its and its impact. But um, I wonder what a poll in rural Georgia would show about the reaction to, um, uh, to the passage of that law. Um, I, I, you, Thomas points out that the Republicans had to see that coming, uh, and maybe they did. And maybe they realized or, or thought that it would work to their benefit uh, in the areas that they represent. Uh, I, I, the, the more I have thought about it, uh, at the risk of going out on a little bit of a limb here, uh, I was one of the folks who was sort of um, aghast at the fact that uh, that Governor Kemp made a point, seemed to make a point of signing that legislation while sitting under a painting of a of a plantation and flanked by a half dozen uh, white legislators. Uh, maybe maybe that was a deliberate bit of imagery um, aimed at at his base outside Metro Atlanta. Uh, and I, I think you could you could begin to ask the same sorts of questions about um, um, uh, some of the other um, uh, seemingly tone deaf actions that, um, that that didn't play well here, but may well in in rural areas. So I'll I'll leave it with that. Thomas, you specifically mentioned the Will Smith movie, but in fact. The film industry has usually been on the side of, hey, don't boycott Georgia, you know, don't 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 move your stuff out of here because that's just going to hurt people who have those jobs, right? I mean, this is this actually presents a problem for the film industry and a difficult decision, right? It 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 does, and uh, it 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 makes me wonder if others are going to to follow suit. Um, the the film industry here is one of Georgia's success stories and you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be here without the without the film tax credits and and those interestingly enough are always kind of you know held hostage by the state government you know they can give it and they can take it away and uh i i i think that really the producers of that film had no other choice to 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 do that i mean Considering considering they were going to be uh, you know some of the first ones coming back in, it's a very high profile uh, film. They they couldn't do anything else about it. But what about everybody else who's making a film in Georgia, Mariella? Well, um, I think that uh, this goes beyond the the film industry in uh, 
you know, everybody that is being activated by the passage of this law is very interesting to to see the reaction. Uh, you know, Hollywood is is doing uh, some thinking about Georgia uh, because of the optics, uh, but also other organizations are uh, being activated, and I think that is what we need to highlight and, and follow because we have seen the religious groups. Uh, that represent minority communities being activated, uh, and, and they are pursuing lawsuits and uh, engaging their uh, congregants. And I think that is going to have a very, very strong impact in the next election cycle because uh, we saw the last uh, election in Georgia with the Senate runoff we saw uh, groups that were not typically coming to Georgia during elections being activating and having offices here now. For example, in the Latino community, we saw uh, Poder Latinx having a, a, an effort here, Mi Familia Vota. You know, those organizations are very strong in um, Arizona, in California, and now have a presence in the state of Georgia, supplementing what other organizations uh, and activists are doing. So I believe that the ramifications of, of this law uh, will have an impact on those grassroots um, uh, organizations that are going to turn out the vote and are going to educate the public further, maybe the people who will not engage in the youth. Uh, and, and, you know, I believe that the, the Republicans should be scared of uh, what the ramifications of doing this is going to do. You know, from the beginning, you're seeing, okay, this is going to suppress the vote, but I believe this is going to have a, a, the opposite effect. It's going to activate a lot of people. Um, to, to jump in and build a little bit on both what um, Thomas and Mariella said, it seems to me that there's sort of a parallel uh, between um, this situation and, and COVID-19. In this case, we've got a bit of a political virus that was manufactured in the General Assembly and turned loose, and nobody really knows who it's going to strike next. I, I think that uh, to, to make, to build on Mariella's point, I think there's every possibility that will, it will do at least as much damage in, in Republican areas as in, in Democratic. I probably probably more so. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that's going to make the next year really interesting to watch. Uh, but um, I'm, I do wonder whether um, some Republicans who were involved in this are wondering whether they uh, wish they could get a, another shot at that. Here's another, uh, one of the most interesting uh, angles on this that I've come across, which is um, uh, State Senator John Albers, uh, wrote a piece for Newsweek, uh, and in it, he, he says, uh, he, he mentions Will Smith and what Will Smith had to say about moving the, the film out of Georgia. And then he says, and I quote, but like other corporations and politicians expressing outrage over Georgia's law, it's based on a lie. Now, Albers wrote this because he's lost his job at a law firm based on people calling for him to, as a, a calling out his sponsorship of uh, some of these original bills. Although it becomes clear in the details that he, 
that those um, those uh, callouts were not exactly accurate. It's a little complicated. And so he's complaining about having lost his job and saying that the outrage is based on a lie. He does not, however, address that the whole idea that somehow there was a fraudulent election is generally called the big lie. So, um, Thomas, I mean, what do you make of of uh, Albert's position and the way you know each side is taking this issue and and really trying to shape it to their use? It's um. You, it, it's a little maddening, and, and especially as someone who covers it, because you it, you feel like you are kind of stepping back and forth between two different worlds, where you where one one world believes this is the absolute worst law that is going to suppress the vote and is going to turn you know turn back the clock in Georgia, and the other side is saying no, this is all about election safety, this is all about. Uh, this is, you know, this this is all about just making sure that, you know, one person, one vote, and and, um, and I don't know how you can really get those two sides to, they don't have to come together, but at least agree on a set of facts, like a basic truth about what's what's happening. Um, I, so, and, and that that is a that is a massive challenge, not just with politics, but with with journalism, you know, as, as you well know, I mean, there are some people out there who are just not going to accept, <laughs> accept the truth. And, uh, unfortunately, I, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to bridge that gap. I just don't. Yeah. I, to me, the, one of the, one of the issues of, I was with some friends last weekend from who, who were here from out of state. And of course, everybody wanted uh, to know what I thought about the voting law. It, it's a struggle to explain it, you know, I think for any of us who live here to people from the outside, because the positions and the law as they have been characterized, especially by national media, are fairly extreme and lacking in detail. I, 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 I've been choosing to explain it by using the uh, Dropbox issue, because the Dropboxes have been legalized, uh, codified in the legislation, and Republicans say, We've never had that before. Drop boxes did not exist in Georgia law at all. We have done a good job with with giving the public the option of drop boxes. But Democrats would say, well, okay, but you, as a practical matter, there will be many fewer drop boxes with less availability in key counties, uh, particularly Democratic mm -hmm. counties. And so they're kind of both right and both wrong, right? I mean, it's it's depending on what extreme position they take. So uh, it's been a tough one. Another tough one uh, for me, and, and I want to see what Mariella thinks of this, because you mentioned how different groups are being mobilized as a result of the law. So we have Bishop Reginald Jackson of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, who's been leading an effort and has been joined by the CEO of Coca-Cola, where they are... They, they held a meeting this week. They have been trying to push big companies and CEOs to uh, join in their effort. Exactly what their effort is isn't entirely clear. And it seems as if there's at least some reluctance by CEOs to jump into the fray. Uh, what's, I mean, what's your take? Is this going to work? Well, that is something that we all have, you know, to, to wait because we, we don't know. 
Uh, I think it is great, like I mentioned before, that corporations are making statements, uh, that they are being engaged. Most of them are, are being engaged. But like you mentioned, some uh, CEOs and some executives of big, large corporations in Georgia just you know, did not participate. They just said they had other commitments, but they have put out statements. I think the, um, what, what's going to happen with the corporations is actually going to come from the employees. Uh, and what they tell their their management, what do they think? And I believe also corporations are going to have to have are going to have to start having uh, conversations about these issues internally, uh, because it makes sense for them business wise to know what the uh, you know the public is thinking, the polls. This is going to affect their wallets if, you know, they are perceived as not being uh, supportive of diversity and equity, et cetera. So I think uh, it's going to be something interesting to watch for us as journalists and, and for, uh, for our society. To, to jump in and, and build on what Mariella was saying, um, a, a, a couple of thoughts. One I absolutely agree with her about the importance of employees um, in in this dynamic, and I think it's probably been underplayed in the media. But the big corporations in Atlanta, and there are, what, a dozen, 13, 14, Fortune 500 companies based in the metro area now, um, one of the reasons they're there is that you've got a highly qualified, well-educated um, uh, workforce there, uh, but they have to compete for those folks, both to recruit them and retain them. And um, uh, and I, you know, to a greater extent than ever before, I think that those companies are having to listen to those employees. And another um, factor here is has to do with with corporate reactions to these sorts of social and societal issues uh, in a prior lifetime. I worked for about a decade at a at a Fortune 500 company in corporate communications, and one of the responsibilities I had was was managing the company's the way the company brushed up against those issues, and and then frankly the the mission was to keep it from happening. I mean, in the 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 old rule was um, business and politics, just you didn't mix them. Well, these days that's almost unavoidable. So the, the harder challenge is, how do you do that? Patagonia put a million bucks into uh, the, the, um, the, the anti-202 effort um, recently, and, and I think uh, and you, you're seeing Delta and Coke, the two oldest Fortune 500 companies in, in Georgia, uh, which frankly, whose, whose corporate largesse uh, has financed an, an awful lot of of political careers in the state um, now being um, kind of caught in this vice um, and wading into it a little belatedly, but now pretty firmly, and uh, and and making both a market choice, but I think also an employee choice. So it's a it's it's pretty treacherous territory, but I don't think companies have got much choice but to decide which side they're going to be on. Well, Charlie makes a good point, um, and I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, uh, 
CEOs, they just don't want to mess with this, but they may have no choice. We've got to get a break in here. Uh, and when we come back into the show, we're going to uh, talk, uh, bring it a little closer to home here about some things going on in Atlanta, uh, but, but, but we'll have, uh, I think, some ripples. So um, this is Political Rewind. We will be right back with you. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back with more Political Rewind. I'm Kevin Riley, editor of the AJC, filling in for Bill Nygut today. But don't worry, Bill will be back tomorrow. I'm joined today by Mariella Romero, Charlie Hazlett, and Thomas Wheatley. So we're going to jump back into something that I know, Thomas, you have done a lot of work on. Uh, The Buckhead City movement and everything that's connected to it. We know that the legislature apparently passed a bill during all this commotion in the legislature. I think it was kind of overlooked, but it passed a bill that allows this effort to potentially go forward, I think would be the best way to put it. It's very complicated uh, under Georgia law for a city to be created. uh, And and there are a lot of things that have to happen in a certain order, which I hope you can explain more concisely than I can, can, Thomas, but with with all of this commotion about the mayor's race, this issue of crime that has become the number one issue in the city of Atlanta, this Buckhead City movement looks more serious than it's ever been. So, Thomas, what's your take on that? Well, it seems like every, you know, every every time that um, crime really reaches a, uh, a, a fever pitch in Atlanta, that Conversations that usually take place in, you know, backyard barbecues and and business lunches in Buckhead start becoming of maybe we could do this better if we were our own city. Maybe we could protect our homes, protect our streets, protect our stores. Um, If we had our own police force, if we were kind of in control of our own destiny. Last time it really happened with this much seriousness, I would say, or this much organization was – Right, right around the Great Recession, and it was also around the same time as a mayoral race. Um, there was a, there was a, a crime was um, cr- crime wasn't reaching you know high levels, but it was becoming much more brazen. It was becoming much more in your face, and people were experiencing it more and more. And uh, and a, a movement was underway. Um, that movement kind of slowed down because most of the people who were in favor of it um, kept on hitting these uh, institutional forces that are still there today. What I mean by that is the civic community in Buckhead, Buckhead Coalition, Buckhead Community Improvement District, um, City Council, Mayor, um, and also they weren't finding very many uh, supporters of the proposal in the legislature, so it just kind of died. Well, let me, uh, speaking of the mayor, um, we have uh, from an interview she did with GPP, some of her thoughts on the matter. So let's listen to her 
And then we'll bring uh, Charlie and Mariella into the conversation because uh, it, it seems like the mayor has recognized this is a big deal and she's going to have to deal with it. Creating a city of Buckhead is a bad idea. Buckhead is a valued part of Atlanta, an important part of Atlanta, and has been for decades. If the problem is crime, you're not going to stop crime by creating a new city. What are you going to do, wall it off and keep all the residents locked in their houses? Crime will come because people can still go in and out of Buckhead. That doesn't solve the crime issue. I would rather this energy and this focus be given on how we can address crime together. So the mayor's uh, argument, Mariella, is that um, the Buckhead, uh, everyone recognizes it's a really important part of the city, in particular as it affects the city's finances. And I think residents have always known that. And, and in this, this recent conversation, some have made the point they may not be getting the ROI on their investment, their, their taxes that they should get. Um, but is, is that a strong argument for breaking off or is the mayor's argument the stronger one? Um, I'm inclined to be in the favor of what the mayor said, uh, you know, that Bucket should not be, um, their own city, but she needs to address the crime, uh, that is going up in, in Bucket. Our station is located in Bucket and we have suffered but they have stolen one of our vehicles from the building. And my car has been also entered into breaking in. So, the, you know, anecdotally, we have so many people, you know, with they have taken their purses from a gas station, et cetera. So the crime has gone up. It's really affecting people in an area where people used to feel very, very safe. And we understand that it is because of the economic impact of the pandemic. And these are desperate times for different uh, families, et cetera. But I don't believe the solution is uh, to break off of Atlanta because then this will have an effect that is going to make Atlanta less secure as well. Uh, because if you know the city loses the tax revenue from the city of Buckhead, you imagine the impact, but like the major mayor said, we have to work together, but he really needs to pay attention to what is happening in, in Bucket and really, really quickly. So, uh, you know, that would be my, my answer to a very complicated uh, topic uh, because people are feeling the effect of insecurity. And that is a very emotional uh, thing and very scary and people would you know, they won't pass solutions. The legislators who, who's, who really sponsored the bill uh, that, that, you know, gives this opening to a Buckhead city uh, aren't even the representatives of that area. So, I mean, does that indicate anything about what could happen? I, I, I think you've got to see the, the local legislators weighing in on this as a start. Um, but even even then, I think this would be, this is gonna be even more complicated than a lot of the other uh, cityhood efforts. Uh, this will probably make Brexit look like a walk in the park. But um, you, you've got um, uh, just the economic impact, 
the the dis, to disentangle uh, a, a huge part of Metro Atlanta from the middle of Metro Atlanta um, uh, strikes me as being um, a, a bad idea all the way around. Yes, it has always been the case that um, that areas that are more affluent and economically um, strong arguably pay more than their fair share. Um, but uh, if, if, if they were able to, to pull out, and I'm skeptical that it will, that the study will, uh, the study will without a doubt show that, that the city of Buckhead is viable. Uh, although I wonder about the, the industrial base, the, the, the commercial base is probably strong. But the damage that it would do to the rest of Metro, to the rest of Atlanta, is um, uh, would be, I think, massive and would undercut any rational um, uh, discussion of doing that. But I, I want to hear from the legislators who represent that area at least as a starting point, and I want to see the poll that the that the coalition uh, would not put out. There's usually a reason when that happens. And uh, we, we, we've touched on how this, say, the, the uh, Buckhead was, uh, was term, made its own city. Uh, the feasibility study will, will have better numbers on this if and when it happens. But from estimates that I've seen, Buckhead makes up roughly 25% of Atlanta's population, but it contributes almost half of its revenues. So imagine that going away. And then imagine being a city, a new city, next to a city that has to deal with that kind of crater in its budget. Um, because Buckhead becoming its own city is not just going to all of a sudden magically move somewhere where they're not going to have to deal with crime, much like the mayor said. Their neighbor will be a municipality that will have very serious financial constraints. Um, the, the police force will be constrained. And there is, a, a, yeah, again, you, you're not building a wall. You're just kind of changing your name, electing the mayor, and, and, and you know, finding a city hall. Um, it, it would be a tremendous blow to, I, I believe, the city. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, optics matter. And especially this time where we're having so many discussions about uh, racial relations and racism, and uh, what does that look like when a majority white um, area of a majority black city says, "No more, we can do this better ourselves." So, Thomas, uh, you, your your view, and I'll, uh, I'm I'm also going to see what Marielle thinks after you have a chance to talk about this. You know, highlights the fact that we've got this mayoral election coming up, and how does this play there? I mean, is it do you expect a candidate to take the position of I support Buckhead leaving because it would be so popular and they get elected and go from there? Or or how does a how will the candidates handle this? I think that um, I don't think that they'll say, you know, um, Buckhead here, you know, here's the banner. Go forth and and and, and enjoy your cityhood. Uh, I think that there will be a lot of reaching out. Um, I think that there will be a lot of. Uh, catering to what Buckhead residents want. We're already starting to see it. Um, on the issue of crime, you're seeing Mayor Bottoms talk a, a lot more about what the city plans to do, 
Um, she's also um, making some concessions on other issues like in zoning. Um, I think, uh, you know, you know in, in some ways, Buckhead is already its own city because when they say they want something, it gets done <laughs> because, because they carry that weight. Um, so it, Buckhead gets what it wants. And to, to, the, to the point that candidates favor what Buckhead wants over other aspects of the city, especially or other parts of the city, especially when we're talking about equity, um, combating inequality, transportation, uh, how the city will grow and uh, into the future, um, how much does Buckhead get? I agree with, with Thomas, and I don't believe that any serious candidate for mayor of Atlanta will strongly support uh, Buckhead becoming its own city because they will be uh, shooting themselves in the foot because of the uh, economic impact that the city will suffer by losing uh, Buckhead. Uh, and and I, I also agree with what Thomas said about you know, in, in this time when we are talking about equity, uh, diversity, et cetera, it would be terrible for uh, a city like Atlanta, you know, with its a famous motive, uh, leitmotif that everybody, uh, you know, it is a city too busy to hate, uh, you know, it would be perceived as, uh, as a very divisive move for uh, Atlanta to lose uh, Buckhead and, and Buckhead becoming its own city. So I don't believe any politician uh, with the best interest of our state and our uh, city will support something like that. But uh, the, the needs of Buckhead need to be definitely addressed. Mariella, you get the last word on that and in this segment here. We're going to take, we got to get our final break in. And uh, please stick around and we'll be right back with more Political Rewind. We're back with more Political Rewind. I'm Kevin Riley, editor of the HAC, filling in for Bill Nygut today, who will be back tomorrow. Our panel is Thomas Wheatley, news editor of Atlanta Magazine, Mariella Romero, director of community empowerment at Univision, and Charlie Hazlett, who's the owner of the Hazlett Group, but the blogger behind Trouble in God's Country. So uh, speaking of a little trouble in God's country and beyond, um, we have a situation now where uh, there's been a suspension of the ability to distribute the J&J &J vaccine. Now, uh, I will tell you this got my attention because that's the vaccine and the shot that I got. And um, I'm happy to report I've, uh, I'm, on to a, I'm, I'm a couple weeks uh, beyond that and I've had no side effects. And in fact, the side effects have affected an extremely small number of people, but it appears that CDC is being very cautious about it and um, we'll see what happens. But Charlie, in a state that has not performed well getting vaccines in arms. There was an attraction to the J&J &J vaccine, I'm assuming, by many because of this one shot. And uh, with one shot, start to really move those statistics forward. Um, what do you think? I mean, you think this will slow the state down even further and Georgia will be still trying to explain why the heck it's so far behind everybody else. I, I'm, I, just to, to start by commenting on that, I, I find it... Um, Am I on? You sure are. 
Okay, sorry, I thought I'd lost the connection. Um, uh, it, 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 it really is a mystery to me why Georgia is dead last. We're behind Puerto Rico and the Marshall Islands, for crying out loud, in terms of the percentage of the population that's been vaccinated. Uh, and even when you, you know, uh, acknowledge the difficulties and and, uh, and problems the state has had, you, you you have to wonder why it's that far down. Uh, there there is a huge difference in uh, in in my observation and the research that I've done in the way, and I know. Kevin, you and the others know this as well, in the way rural Georgia has responded and reacted to the, to the pandemic and the virus versus um, uh, metro Atlanta and other urban areas. That's just sort of an undeniable fact. I assume that that extends to a willingness and a desire to, to get the vaccine. I have not. I've been trying to get good county-level data on vaccinations. I have not found it yet. I'm frankly skeptical um, that you can get it because people are getting vaccinations outside of their home counties all the time. And I don't know how they're, how good a job they're doing of tracking that back to the County of residence. But um, I, I, the, the, the state is sort of paying a price for the early political reactions to it, both at a national level and a state level. And um, and I don't think I haven't seen evidence that it's doing the sort of public service announcement, public health messaging job that it needs to do to drive up vaccinations, especially in in rural areas. I'm glad that we are talking about this topic so much because, you know, we uh, in who work in the Spanish-speaking community, we had seen that our audience, they were really, really looking forward to having the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because it was one dose. Uh, and, and this information, this pause, I know that um, is uh, out of an abundance of, of cautious. Yesterday I had an interview with uh, a doctor who is uh, an expert on infectious diseases, um, and, you know, this pause should confirm to people that the uh, authorities are taking, uh, you know, notice of everything and, and acting in the best interest of the, of the public. But, you know, the statistic is one person affected in, 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 in one million. So, uh, I, I, you know, the, we, we, for sure we have to... Uh, follow these six cases and see what other problems the people have. But this is having an impact also on the narrative that we, uh, as journalists working with the community, bringing information uh, and education, are you know are having to do because of the uh, reluctancy already that we see on the Latino community to get vaccinated. And this uh, measure in taking, you know, pausing the Johnson & Johnson is having an effect on people's confidence on the other two vaccines that we have. So uh, I think uh, Charlie is, is dead on on, uh, you know, highlighting the lack of efforts from our state to really do public service announcements and, and educating the public. I think it's a 
very, very important topic, and uh, all of us should be doing this public service more more often. My uh, my neighbor across the street is a is a senior citizen, and a few weeks back, I I, I went to her and I said, "Do you need any help? You know, signing up for a vaccine?" Um, and she said, "Right now, I'm going to wait because I want to I want to wait for this Johnson and Johnson one. I, I just want to take one shot." And uh, so she's not going to she's going to be without it for, you know, a little while longer. And uh, so I think that it will it, it will affect, you know, definitely affect how how our vaccination rates go. I am really curious as to whether, you know, what are we seeing? Is it is it the fact that we we have too many doses in, in areas where there's not enough demand? Uh, are we not getting the message out or is there? Um, skepticism about about whether these vaccines are, are are effective and they've or or safe and they've proved themselves to be um very effective and as as you said i mean the blood clots that um that authorities are looking into are very rare very rare so charlie i know that on your on your blog which we've mentioned a lot so uh, you're getting a lot of promotion here Appreciate it. God's country <laughs> thing. You you've actually done it. You actually did a piece about how uh, or highlighting a study that says Democratic states have fared better uh, during the pandemic than Republican states. I mean, it fits into this this question about uh, skepticism and belief and trust and all that. So, give we only have a few minutes, but give us give us the uh, the points you make there in summary. Uh, well, I, I had begun to notice this shortly after the pandemic started, that there seemed to be uh, differences in the way uh, areas governed by Democrats versus Republicans fared in this thing. Um, and uh, and I've sort of tracked that. Uh, and early on, the urban areas, the Democratic areas, were harder hit than rural, more Republican areas. But over time, those lines crossed. Um, in Georgia, this past summer, uh, I think it was in August and September, uh, the, the the case rates in um, in rural Georgia, which had been better than urban Georgia, um, uh, suddenly not suddenly but gradually got got worse, and then the same with the death rates. Um, uh, I think a couple of weeks later, and this study that that I was referring to that um, uh, came out. Um, uh, found that on a on a much bigger scale, uh, and and you can look at it at a at a in, at a county level in Georgia. Uh, I compared Georgia to North Carolina. Um, the two states have a lot in common. One thing they don't have in common is that North Carolina has a Democratic governor. Georgia obviously has a Republican governor, and there are big differences in in the case rates, or especially the the. The, um, uh, the 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 deaths with with comparable populations. So, I'll stop there. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, that you get the last word. Uh, that's all the time we have for political rewind today. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for for being our guests, Mariella Romero, Charlie Hazlett, and Thomas Wheatley. Great to be with you. Bill Nigel will be back at the microphone tomorrow. And uh, thanks to producer Samber Mustaz. Senior producer Amelia Brock and engineer Jesse Neiswanger for their work. They really made me uh, sound better at this than I am. I'm Kevin Riley. Thanks for joining us and have a safe rest of your day.